So I'm, I'm always a little nervous. I don't talk that much, so I'm going to tell a joke just because that helps me to relax a little bit. Um, so there were two green beans crossing the road. This is my favorite joke to tell. It's probably the only one I tell really well. And uh, one got hit by a car, so his friend scooped him up and took him to the emergency room. And the doctor came out and he said, well, I've got some good news and some bad news. And the green bean friend says, tell me the good news, doc. And he says, well, your friend's going to be okay, but he's going to be a vegetable. (laughs) I just think it's the cutest joke. And when my little grandbabies tell it, the grandkids tell it, they tell it with a lisp. So it's like, with hoogly beads, quaffed the woad. So cute. So, so cute. So um, the topic of my conversation or our conversation tonight is resolving conflict in marriage. And I, I think I kind of volunteered to do it because I've had a ton of conflict in my marriage. Uh, and many of the mistakes that I've made, I made them going in, you know, only because I, I just didn't know. I just didn't understand. I didn't understand my role. I didn't understand men in general. And I wanted to tell you the mistakes I've made. I just wanted to, I had this voice in my head saying, look at all these mistakes you've made and look at how now, you, I've been, I just celebrated my 43rd anniversary. I know many people in here have celebrated that many anniversaries, you know, but it's kind of a rarity. If you go out into the real world, like I have a, a real job with real people that aren't Christians, there are very few people that have been married that long and they will say, wow, how would you do that, you know? Anyway, the truth is that I, di- I didn't do that, you know. And I'm, that's not written down on my paper, but I didn't do that. It is on, yep. It wasn't anything that I did. It was something that God did working in my heart and changing my own heart from a heart of um, pain and hardness to a heart of softness and openness to my husband. And uh, so my goal kind of tonight is just to offer you a little bit different perspective, maybe a perspective you've never heard before. And only because I've made these mistakes can I say with confidence when I went to the Word and when I applied the Word and I, you know, I just really looked at the mistakes I was making in a very logical way and asked God to help me with that. He really did change my heart. And uh, I'm hoping that, you know, of course I'm going to be honest, and I hope that you (laughs) don't go share the things with, with anybody else that, you know, I'm trusting you with confidence. And I'm going to do the same and if you have a question anywhere where I, along the way when I'm talking, just say so, you know. Part of last week when Kathy was talking about how to love your husband at the end, she asked if anybody had questions. And it was sweet that people really asked hard questions, you know. And that conversation didn't go on for very long, but I was really hoping that tonight maybe people would feel a bit of a freedom. I really don't have all the answers, but it was interesting enough that other people brought up some you know, oh yeah, I've experienced that too, and of course that makes you feel a little bit better about, okay, I'm not the only one that has this issue. Anyway, and I also want to commend you for coming, because it's not an easy thing to say, you know, gosh, I'm not always doing it right either. It's certainly not easy for me to confess that I have done things very poorly, so thank you for even just showing up tonight. So let's pray. Thank you, sweet Heavenly Father, for being in this room with us and meeting us here and seeing my heart, Lord, to just um, just be in openness and being able to maybe help someone else along the way, Lord. Thank you that your heart is so big and so great for us. You understand us as women. You understand our husbands. You've created us the way you have for a reason, Lord, and I pray that we'd all be able to see that you'd give us the ability to see your great hand working in our lives, Lord, and not to just get so self-focused or focused on what's wrong, but to open up our eyes to a different perspective, Lord. And I pray you'd help me to humbly share. And um, the only marriage I really have to talk about much is my own, and so I don't want to come across as, you know, I don't want to come across as just sharing and only sharing the good and not the bad. I want to make it so that people understand that these are common problems that all of us experience, and I pray you'd use me in any way that you can, Lord. So um, I said that my husband and I have been married for 43 years, and uh, we met when I was 16 and he was 17. So um, 
Sometimes we say we've been married for 43 years. We joke and say we got married when we were 10 and 11, just to kind of throw you off. But um, both of us came from families that were not Christians. Neither one of our families were Christians. And uh, so we kind of really got started off on the wrong foot, you know. And uh, But an interesting thing happened. My husband had a job, and even at 17 and a half he was working, and somebody started sharing the Lord with him at work. And uh, he was already had a bit of a drug habit and uh, was really unhappy at home and was kind of difficult, had difficulty with school and getting along with people. You would never know that if you saw him or knew him today. But anyway, so this friend invited him to church. And he was living in Glendora at the time, and he invited him to go all the way to Calvary Costa Mesa. And so my husband said he didn't really have an excuse not to go, so he did. He went to church that night with his fellow, and he accepted Christ that night. And from he came home that night, and the next morning was on the phone telling me how our lives was going to be different. That's how he started out the conversation. And so from that moment, our lives... Our life was very different because of his commitment to the Lord. And and he started bringing me to church. And the thing that drew me so much was the I kept hearing love. Like you're hearing that woman tonight talking about the things that drew her. And I kept hearing about love because my home life, where I lived at home, we lived in a very... Uh, a family where there was just so much conflict and fighting all the time, and I didn't, I felt very little love and didn't really know what that was like. And so we both moved out of our homes pretty readily, our family homes. My, um, my in-laws, they weren't my in-laws at the time, but they had a very unhappy marriage, and pretty quickly after Mark and I got married, their marriage dissolved. It was pretty fast. And um, my father-in-law was a very hot-tempered man. He was a Marine, and he... Uh, he just couldn't control. He had a lot of rage and bitterness, and he would fly off the handle at the smallest little thing. And my mother-in-law was pretty depressed, and she just didn't really have any skills either for living in a marriage like that, but she didn't help it at all. And then in my own family, my mom and dad were pretty unhappy also. they, uh, My dad also was a type A man, and uh, he was given to anger. In fact, I think that was his only reaction to any problem was that it was always to get angry. I tried saying that to him one time as I got older, you know, and I started having a better relationship with, I said to him, dad, you know, here we is facing the problem. Did you ever think about maybe just not getting angry, but doing something else? And he said, hey, 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 you can't talk like that to me. I mean, it just was the way he was. Anyway, so that kind of started, that was how we started out. That was how we started out, and we started going to church. We were in church as much as we could be in church, and then we both moved out. He moved into his, that dear friend that led him to Christ, he moved into, into his, uh, an apartment, and then um, I moved in apart with my girlfriend. I was only 17 when I moved out. I didn't want to be at home anymore, and uh, my husband was 18, and we were the first ones to move out. I was the oldest of four, and my husband was the second of four, and um, we were happier. Within a short time, his buddy that he was rooming with got married, and so we just said, well, we must be, we need to get married too. And so we married, I had just turned 19, it was a week after my 19th birthday, and my husband was 20 at that time. And uh, we got married at Big Calvary, they had counseling, they had premarital counseling then, and Pastor Chuck married us. And uh, it was a really sweet time in our lives, we were very happy, and... um, you know, you just have all these hopes and dreams for the future. You know, you really do when you first get married. And um, we trusted in the Lord. We vowed that we would never say the word divorce. And uh, we also were committed that we would make it work no matter what. And we meant it. I know that we did. And uh, right after we got married, my husband had a pretty good job. He hated school, really, and didn't like college. And so he, his uh, friend had offered him a job as a truck driver. And he took to that like a fish to water, and he learned the whole business. And he was driving in downtown L.A. Uh, really, you know, by the time he was 19 in a big rig, huge truck. But he was working really super long hours. And I went to nursing school right away. So I was 19, and I got accepted in a couple of nursing schools. And that's what I thought was my life path. And so I did. I went to school. And so those first three years were really good for us. We enjoyed time together when we weren't in school or working. But my husband was working pretty long hours. And uh, about the time I graduated from nursing school, I was really excited. Now I'm 22, 21. And I've got my RN, and I had a good job. And uh, we got pregnant right away which is kind of what we wanted. We didn't really pray about it. We just That's just what we thought we should do, right? So we had our first baby. We were all in love with her. She was a dear, sweet thing, and she was an easy baby pretty much. 
And then uh, a couple years later, we had a second baby. And then a couple years later, we had a third baby. It was a surprise. It was a bit of a surprise. And uh, so we had two girls, and then we had a son. But in the meantime, my husband still had that crazy job. And he would, he'd leave for work about 6 in the morning, and he wouldn't get home till 10 at night, Monday through Friday. And that was a big problem for me. And... Um, I'm not going to, I'm sure that if I explained it to you, you guys would fully understand, and I wouldn't have to tell you all the details, but I'm going to try to tell you plainly without making it so terrible, but it really was a terrible time. I resorted to complaining pretty much all the time. I resorted to saying to him, you know, I said things like, you know, you give 98% of your time at work, and then when you come home, you don't have anything, you know, you only have this little tiny 2%. So I'm 26 now, he's 27, and he's pretty tired. He likes what he does, and I pretty much hammered him about it. You know, you don't have, you're not really interested in being a part of the family. When are you going to read your Bible? I want you to pray with us. When are you going to take, I mean, I just, there wasn't anything he couldn't do right, really. I was so unhappy and embittered about how things were. And the more I thought about it, the worse it got, you know, my discontent just grew into this bitterness and resentment and there were periods of negativity that lasted for days and I just don't know what to say about it when I write it all down and I describe it I sound like such a lousy wife you know because I was really although we were still very happy we loved our children but I found it hard to be a good mom when I was so upset at him I'm sure everybody else has experienced that if you've had a really difficult argument it is hard to be a to be patient with the kids. It's hard to be loving. It's hard to not think about it all day. Anyway, I, I found that I started to think, I wonder if I made a big mistake. What, what was I thinking? You know, and maybe this isn't the man that I thought he was. You know how those thoughts creep into your head. And I, I kind of got really desperate. I mean, we were going to church. We were going to church all the time, really. And people didn't really know. I wasn't really forthcoming. And my husband just got quieter and quieter, and he um, he just didn't respond. He, none of that motivated him to be truthful. It just didn't. And in desperation, I kind of just started crying out to the Lord, and I had been asking the Lord to change his heart, you know. Well, that wasn't helping. I'm trying to reason with him. That didn't really help either, you know. I really had, I had a four-and-a-half-year-old, a two-year-old, and a zero, and I really didn't have any help, very much help anyway. And so finally, I... I started setting my alarm 30 minutes before the kids got up. So the earliest one got up at 6 o'clock. Well, you think you can't do these things, but you really can. So I set my alarm at 5.30, and I got up with my Bible. And I sat down with my Bible, and I started asking the Lord to change my heart. Because I had been asking the Lord to change his heart, but that surely was not working. I said that. So I started asking the Lord to change my heart. And... You know, I did a lot of, like, just digging and looking around, and I came across this little quote from Ruth Graham that, Graham that says, we cannot pray and remain the same, and that was really the truth. I mean, even though I wondered, how did I get to this place, God started working in my heart a little at a time. And a little at a time, I, I started changing the way I talked to him, just in little small small bites, I started changing. If, if something didn't work, I would just change it up a little bit. I would change my thought process. I asked the Lord to change my heart, to give me a love for my husband and love for my kids. And it took so long. It took just such a long time to change that around. But in that time, I got so, you know, I got so stuck. I started thinking, this is how divorce happens, you know, really. This is why people divorce. And so I kind of looked it up. What are the main causes of divorce, you know? And they say the first the first um, and foremost one is lack of communication. So distance gets created when somebody doesn't want to talk anymore, right? I really talk, want to talk about it, I used to say. Doesn't, talking doesn't change anything, does it really? And he would tend to agree with me. I, sometimes I felt really constrained, like here I was at home with three little kids. And I'm sure he felt the same, you know, like his nagging wife was kind of holding him back, you know, from doing the things that he'd really wanted to do. Like he couldn't do things now with friends or things that he really wanted to enjoy. He felt constrained that he had to do only what I thought was okay for him to do, you know. Um, Finances was a big deal. Even though he was working all these hours, it just never seemed to be enough. There was this issue about trusting him. I would always ask, are you really where you say you are? How do I know? 
I don't know that he really trusted me all that much either in that he didn't trust that he could trust his feelings with me. If he was really honest with me, I'm not sure that I would really um, take that honesty in kind. My expectations were way too high, and that's another cause of divorce when your expectations aren't even met or one partner just doesn't even make an effort, you know. And that's how I felt like I had, I had given him such grief. He didn't. He kept saying, why should I try? It doesn't matter what I do. Sometimes you feel like your spouse doesn't understand you or he doesn't care to fulfill your needs or desires. Sometimes there's insecurity and jealousy. Sometimes there's cultural differences like religious differences. Like I felt like we should all get up and go to church every Sunday. Sometimes he didn't want to do that. You don't think you'll get lost in all these things, but it's very easy to have it happen. And sometimes you get lost in your roles, too. Like, my husband ended up being a little bit of a workaholic, I thought. Like, you almost wondered if he didn't come home or work that many hours to avoid what was happening at home, too. And, you know, then my main role, you know, from 6 in the morning till whenever I got the kids to bed was being a mom. And that left very little time for the two of us to kind of find our own footing in our marriage And so that is another big cause of divorce is getting lost in your roles. And you can see how once all all or any of those things happen, then intimacy disappears in your marriage pretty readily. And then there's an inability to resolve those conflicts. Like, how do you get from point A to point B? You know, what does that look like? And um, I felt like so many of things, those things in those first you know, I'm not sure what the time frame was. It was quite a, a long time of us not being able to get above that, get past it. I mean, when I looked at marriages and divorce, did you know that the average length of marriage in the United States is only eight years, really? I know. I mean, it was pretty shocking. And I know in church we've heard that divorce in the general population, somewhere between 40 and 50%. But that's a really true statistics for, the, for a general population. But for second marriages, it's like 67%. And for third marriages, it's 73%. Which was, you know, those statistics are kind of scary, I thought, you know. I did read, though, that if you really take your faith seriously, if discipleship is important to you, and if your faith makes a difference, in your life, although it doesn't really change the kind of problems that you face as a couple, but it does make a difference in that those couples tend to divorce less frequently than the general population or the non-faith population. But here's something else that was really interesting to me. Um, It said that 22 to 50 percent of the people who divorce actually regret their divorce. They regret that they ever did that. Another 54% admit that they had second thoughts all along the way through the divorce process. And another 42% said that um, they surely considered that uh, during that time that they should give it one more try. And I want to tell you this kind of interesting story, two things that happened to me. Um, Years ago, we were in a, a... Women's retreat. I was at a women's retreat, and we were all having a good time, and I was with my friends, and at the end, we were doing this wrap-up, you know, where um, Jenny Mae's nodding with her eyes really big. <laughs> we were, and the question was, you know, something like, what did you get, or who wants to share about what they happened this weekend in their life with Christ, you know? And women got up and shared, but this one woman got up. She was older. Now, when I think about her age, I imagine that she's probably our age now, right, Jenny Mae? And she got up, and what she said was, I want you girls to know that the grass is not greener on the other side. That's what she said. And she told us, I'll just tell a tiny bit of the story, was that um, when she was younger, she uh, left her husband for another man. And uh, her current husband now has left her for another woman, she said. And she repeated it again, that the grass is not greener on the other side. And then she started having chest pain. And then we had to call 911, and off she went to the hospital, and she really did have a heart attack. That really happened truly happened. And I'm a nurse, so there I was in the middle of that. Um, the other thing that happened, which was to me, which was kind of an interesting, another interesting story along that same lines was um, with this one neighborhood we lived in. And I had a friend that I'd made a couple doors over and she uh, was a nurse also. And she was on her second marriage and she had a son. 
just a couple years older than my son, and she also had, uh, her husband had a son. And uh, we had, she had given me a job lead, and so we had the same kind of job together. And one of the things we would do is, you know, payday, we would go together. It was like a one-day-a-week nursing job. Anyway, so we were good friends. I started bringing her to church. She came to church here. She came to women's Bible study here. And um, we shared what I thought was a pretty good friendship. And then for a while, I, did, I didn't see her. It wasn't that long, maybe just a week or two. And then one day I saw a very small moving van in front of her house. And then I, ne- I didn't see her. And then uh, I heard that she had left her husband. And I mean, I was shocking. I was just so grieved and sad. She had stopped coming to church, I will say that. Anyway, years went by. A long time went by, and I was in Costco, and there she is. And so I say, hi, how are you? I haven't seen you in forever. I mean, she really was a good friend. And she said that she had left her husband for another man. That's what she told me. And then, I I mean, I, I don't really say much, honest. I'm usually a person of very few words. She said to me, the grass is not greener on the other side. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, really? I, don't, I mean, I just asked her a few simple things about her life and her son that I knew so well that I was very fond of, had gotten a girlfriend pregnant at age 16 or 17. I mean, we don't really understand. I don't think we really fully understand our day-to-day decisions sometimes. We really don't. And that, that was a big lesson to me about guarding my heart, asking the Lord to change my heart, being um, sincere in my vow in the way I treat my husband and, you know, really looking at my own part in this. I mean, I can't, I can't really change my husband. Can you? Has anybody tried to do that? Tell me you have tried to change your husband. I'm a little embarrassed. You may talk about it. Can you change anybody? You know, can you change your best friend? Can you change anybody? Who in the world can you possibly change with God's help? Just your own heart. You can only change that own hard heart. Anyway, stress in a marriage. It sure comes, doesn't it? Um, death of a, of a family member or a terminal illness. You know, we had that in our family. We lost Mark's brother, who was a really dear, lovely man in our life. He was, Mark, my kids were attached to him. My kids called him dad. He, he was only a year and a half younger than my husband, and we loved him dearly, and he passed away. Um, Chronic illness, these are some of the biggest stresses, you know, to have pain or chronic illness. Uh, Any drug or alcohol abuse, not in your immediate family, but, I mean, in in your household family, but even outside of that. I had a brother who had a drug problem. It caused so much conflict in my marriage. Other family members divorcing can cause conflict. Both of my brothers are divorced. My my in-laws divorced. That caused a lot of difficulty in my marriage. It did. I mean, you just can't help it. I tried. I lost two sister-in-laws that I loved because of divorce. Um, the conflict of trying to navigate mom being in the same room with dad created all this conflict in my marriage. And we were young. And so we didn't know how to do that. We did not. My husband was not strong enough to say to his dad, Dad, do not bring your girlfriend to our two-year-old daughter's birthday party. We just couldn't do it. We just didn't have the ability to do that at such a young age. Uh, Loss of job or change of employment. We've had that (laughs) so many times. We've moved that. We just moved two years ago. Even that was a tiny bit. I had to prepare in my mind, okay, this is going to be a big switch. I have to switch up. It isn't going to be the same. We moved from a house that didn't need any work to a huge fixer-upper. Trying to cook in that kitchen was so aggravating. It took me a long time. I didn't want to let that stress get to me. And so I I prepared ahead and told myself, no sense doing anything but just adjusting a little bit of time, and eventually you'll feel fine about it. And I did. For people with young Young moms with young kids, changing schools, academic new year, I mean, starting a new year over, academic issues, not getting good grades or poor grades, or teachers struggling with teachers, bullying in school. All those things cause stress on your marriage. If your kids aren't adjusting, doesn't that cause stress in your marriage? Yep. Uh, persistent problems with other family members. Um, because our family wasn't Christian, I think, you know, I felt this criticism 
from family, from other family, often enough, well, look at they're doing it different. They're not doing it right because they're Christians. There was financial things that caused stress in our marriage, just like everybody else's tax time was so stressful for me. And the other thing that happened that can happen that causes stress is extreme loneliness and lack of friendships. If you don't have a good friend and you feel very isolated and alone, then those things can really cause stress in your marriage. In my marriage, I had all of those things happen at one time or another pretty much. And that's kind of why I volunteered to do this because I felt like I had so much obstacles and so much um, tension and things that Mark and I had to navigate. And here we are, 43 years out, we did some things right, even though we did so many things wrong. We did so many things right, and so I want to give you some of those right things. I do have to say that at one or two points in my marriage, though, I really thought we weren't going to be able to turn that ship around. I thought that our ship was going to be sunk, and without Christ in our life, I think it would have sunk. Anyway... Part of, uh, part of what we're experiencing is what's called the crazy cycle. Have you ever heard that term, the crazy cycle, where it's the wife is saying, you don't love me, you know, and she's trying very hard to get love from her husband, but she's going about it. I, a good example is what I was doing. And so he, he says, well, you're not respecting me, and so I'm not going to give you love that you need. How can I be loving when you treat me so disrespectfully, right? I mean, how can a husband be loving when you're not treating him very well? And yet, how can you treat him very well when he's not very loving? It's just some weird cycle that you go on. Well, that's what we're on, this weird cycle. It's kind of how it starts, and, it, and it's very hard to get out of that cycle. Um, no husband really feels any kind of affection towards a wife who's being so disrespectful that she's showing contempt. And uh, I, I guess my, my point about all this is, what does it really matter how you get there or who starts it? I mean, it does matter how you get there, but who starts it? I mean, somebody has to break that little cycle. And what I used to say is, you know, I, you know how can I respect you because you're doing this, 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 and this? But why not just give it to him a little bit? Why not just say it. Why not just say what you really feel? Like in my heart, I knew I wasn't saying the right things. And one of these wonderful books I read called Love and Respect, I started reading more. One of the books said, you know, just tell your husband something respectful that you really admire about him. Well, I had done it with the kids. Have you ever done with this at your kids, you know, before? Well, pick up your backpack. It's time to do homework. No, you're not supposed to be eating all those Cheerios, you know. Or you could say, I said, what a good job you did with your backpack today. I'm really proud of you. Um, Thank you for helping me set the table. Who wants to do this? You know, it's all a bit in your perspective or your attitude. You can give it a little switch around, right? Guy, I'm so proud of you. Look what you did today instead of being so negative all the time. So I tried it with my husband. (laughs) But it worked so good with the kids, right? And the book said try it. So I did. And my husband's pretty, he's smart. I bet he's like yours. Mine is a pretty typical male. He's all male. He's all about meat and potatoes. He's strong. He's not girly in any way, shape, or form. He's a man of few words. He's a hard, hard worker. He's a hard, hard worker. He's kind of just a typical male. Yes, Jenny Mae. Except he's a wonderful cookie Cookie maker, yes. That came about later once we started the love and respect thing. (laughs) That didn't come out in the beginning. So I said, this is what I said. I want you to hear what I said to him. I I had to make it sound like, you don't want to make it sound contrived. You don't want to make it sound like you're digging deep. I didn't want to make, I mean, he's not going to be fooled. He's not going to know that I read that book. He saw that book with me reading the book. In fact, he took three of those classes with me. And so what I said is from my heart. I said, baby, I really admire you for how hard you're working. He's also a man of few words, and I know he doesn't like me to talk on and go on and on. And so I said, I really admire you for how hard you work for our family. And then I said, where would I be without you? Ask yourself that question. Where would you be without your husband today? Where would you be? Really, where would you be? Well, I'd probably be in an apartment with three kids and lonely and unhappy. I really would be way unhappier than I ever was. But I was surprised at his reaction when I said that. He, there was a pause. My husband's always got a pause. And he paused, and then he just said, thank you. 
Well, I have, you know, a lot of my friends, I've even heard it from, I have two daughters, I've even heard it from my daughters. Well, that doesn't always work, mom, they say, you know. Well, what do you think my husband was thinking? He was, I'm sure he was thinking, I never asked him what he was thinking, I'm sure he's thinking, I wonder how long this is going to last. <laughs> because one time he said to me, I had said something that I knew I shouldn't have said, I can't remember what it was. This is not funny and funny all at the same time, you know those pr- things that happen? And whatever I said, I, I, I knew the minute that I said it, I shouldn't have said it. And so what I, I tried to back paddle. I tried to make it better. And so I said, I'm so sorry, honey. I'm sorry I said that. I'm so sorry. And I'm never going to say that as long as I live, I promise you. And he said, you plan on dying soon? That's what he said. <laughs> and so one of my points is listen to your husband. Listen to what he's saying because it will come out in a small way. Like I knew what he was telling me. He didn't really trust me is what he was saying, that to not... Have his best at heart. And you know there's a verse in the Proverbs. I should get Jenny May to look it up for me. It's in Proverbs 31. It says, the, hus- the heart of the- her husband trusts in her. Well, when we're going through this crazy cycle, it do- my husband does not trust me when I am upset at him and blaming him for the craziness that happens sometimes. I, I always have to ask myself, why? Why do women want to know the answer to why? You know, Do you remember that verse in Genesis 3? I don't really know if I have an answer, but here we go. The verse in Genesis 3 that says, part of the curse, and he says, you have to ask the question why God was so unhappy when Eve took the fruit and she ate it and she gave it to her husband. I mean... The the situation was, you know, they're turning away from what God's perfect plan was to do something that they thought was better in their lives. Like, this is going to be better for us than what God had planned for us. They thought their wisdom for happiness was better than God's. But what God, what his um, curse was, he said uh, to the woman, in, uh, I will sharpen the pain in your childbirth and pregnancy. You will give birth. Well, God, that was kind of a... <laughs> That was not a fun curse. But the second part of that, I don't know, do you ever read it or did you ever read it and see what it says? And your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Well, I did not understand that. I just, why would, why, why is that there? And I read a couple commentaries on it. One of it said, you know, that, um, one of them said that women really just want their husband to be everything to them. You know, they want their expectations too much from their husband where they want to control their husband, which was a problem I was having. But uh, just recently I read it again, and I found another little um, pastor who wrote about it, and he goes down to just the next chapter over where it says, it's now talking about um, Cain and Abel, and God is warning Cain about his uh, feelings towards Abel, his feelings of resentment that uh, Abel's sacrifice was better than his. And so Cain was very angry and resentful, right? And what God's warning to him was that sin is crouching at the door. And that sin has its desire for you, and you must master it, is what he's telling Cain. And so I I think basically our own sinful heart, our own selfish sinful heart, my heart can be very selfish sometimes. I'm not thinking of anything but my own needs, my own wants, my own desires, And that sin is always right there, isn't it? Just wanting to pull us away from what's right, from wanting to pull us away from the Word or pull us away from our husband. And our husbands have that same issue in a lot of ways, you know, where they, sin is crouching at the door, where they don't want to be loving, where they want to pull away, where they want to be quiet, where they want to do their own thing, and they don't want to be as involved in the family as they should or could be. And so it's our sin nature that causes our separation from God and causes our separation from having that good and godly marriage that God wants us to have. And I couldn't really figure out why we were, why was it that we were so opposite? I wondered if I just picked the wrong person, if I would do better if I picked somebody else, because we were so very opposite. I mean, my husband is, um, well, first he's, He's uh, an indoor person. At the end of his hard work week, and he's outdoors all week long, he wants to be inside, and he wants to relax, and he wants to watch a movie. Oh, after I've been home with the kids or been inside all week, I want to go adventure some. I want to go hike and bike, and you know, I want to do everything, which is a, a bit of a problem, especially in the world of Facebook now, because everybody else's marriages are doing all these exciting things, and I've got a stay-at-home <laughs> hubby, you know? So there's a lot of beauty in Facebook, I get to see, you know, when my granddaughter wins her soccer game, 
in real time, but then there's a lot of things that create a lot of um, discontent in our hearts. It's something that you really have to watch. The minute that discontentment comes up in my heart, I give it to the Lord. I don't, I don't nurture it. I don't um, nurse it. Because bitterness can really get a foothold in your heart, can't it? It's an evil root, and it can go really deep. And it is a very hard thing to pull that. It's hard and it's painful in your heart to pull that thing out of your heart. Don't you agree? I also wondered why was I so emotional, and he wasn't. He didn't seem to have very many emotions at all. He's like this, you know, like I'd say, I'm so excited. He'd go, that's nice. Like, oh, the world is falling, the sky's on the kids, isn't it? And he'd go, oh, it'll be fine. Like, why is he like this? That was the thing that attracted to me or him, to me, me to him originally was that nature of stability, because I had none in my home. I had all this craziness happening in my family home. But he had this nice, even tempered, but eventually it got under my skin. I don't know what's so funny. It wasn't funny to me, but it is. It is kind of funny. Why is... <laughs> Chime in, please. Right, if I, if, I, if I gave you an example, I could, I could reason with you, right? I could say, I could tell you, and you would understand as a woman, and I wouldn't have to talk in this tone to you. I would not. You would understand, right? But when you try to reason with your husband, he has a different, his brain is hardwired. Do you understand that? Their brains are totally hardwired a different way. They're not hardwired the same way as ours. We relate to one another in emotional responses. We do. Why is that? Why is it that you could hear that newborn baby cry? I haven't given birth in 35 years, but the minute I hear a child in distress, I there's something kind of a weird, achy feeling in your chest, you, and you like want to grab the baby, yes. or you want to do something you don't know what to do, right? And it could be on the other side of Target, and you could hear this, oh, oh, and right away, it's like, oh, oh, or I heard it, I heard it at the parking lot the other day, a cry of distress in a child. I can't believe I could have snapped my neck as fast as I turned my neck around to see if there was a mother near to Men aren't hardwired like that. We're hardwired to be um, nurturers and caregivers. Our hearts are compassionate. That's how we are hardwired. As a general rule, I'm saying, just as a general rule. And men are hardwired generally more. I have a typical male husband. And I know what he likes now after really listening to him. I mean, if I really listened and paid attention, I could hear what he was telling me. So I, I, I... I'm given to all these emotions, and especially during my years of raising children and after that, and then through into my 40s, you know, you're just used to your emotions being high and low sometimes of the month. And jokingly, we used to say PMS, like pre-murder syndrome, right? You know, it was like, why am I feeling this way? Oh! I get it now, right? It's the week before I'm going to, you know, you just would talk like that. But that God created us as women with all these emotions for a reason. There are a lot of reasons why we have all these emotions. Uh, remember James Dobson? He had this little book called Emotions. Can you trust him? So in your little packet, I want you to pull out. There's a train. I think it's the first paper below the, yep, below your stapled. Has anybody in the room ever taken a discipleship class, that one-to-one discipleship? I pulled this out of that one-to-one discipleship. It's really meant for... Uh, the purpose of this little train is an illustration of how to put um, how to put the importance of the fact of God's word first in your life. Like if you're prone to being a very feeling and emotional person, when things aren't going your way, you tend to think God has left me or why is this happening to me? Have I done something wrong? But when you're in the word, where's my little train? When you're in the word and... You know, pick a verse. Um, you know, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us. When you read that verse in Ephesians and you put the fact of God's word first, then your faith gets pulled along because you're putting God's word first, your faith gets pulled along, and the feelings come last. Well, I'm going to use this and apply this to our marriage. When you think about 
okay, your husband made a vow, he's committed, he's working for you every day, he comes home, he makes every effort to show you kindness and consideration. When you put the fact of what your husband is doing in the front, then it puts a faith in your marriage, it strengthens your marriage, and the feelings come last. If you put the feelings at the front of your train, what do you think your marriage train may look like? A train wreck. But but we're but why did we here we have all this emotion, but where where are you going to put all that emotion? You have to find a way to, um, not let your emotions rule your whole life. And some of that comes from maturity, like you know when you have a two year old, they're a little more prone to temper tantrums. They're a little more prone, and teenagers are more prone to emotional outbursts for all kinds of reasons, right? But as you grow and mature, the emotional aspects kind of get tempered a little bit, and you figure out ways, you, th- you know, like, well, that didn't work. Being that angry and upset did not work. Let me try a different way. And so I try to control those, because my husband didn't respect that. He didn't respect when I let my emotions get the better of me. So that was one of the ways that I used to help me temper my emotions. I did it by, um, I'm totally lost in my notes, so we'll just go for it. I had a a favorite devotional that I used. It was called Keep a Quiet Heart. It was an Elizabeth Elliot devotion. It was a long time ago. And it really ministered to my heart. And it's one of my helps to harmony and your little stapled paper. Um, I don't know what it was about that devotional, but I reread it and reread it. But even the title helped me, Keep a Quiet Heart. And I would say that to myself when my heart would become um, discontent and upset. And I'd also heard this um, little saying. I think it came from Debbie Bryson one time. It said, she said, um, I made a pact with my mouth not to speak when my heart was heavy and unhappy. Has anybody else heard that before? You know, when, when your heart is super heavy and unhappy, if you, if you speak all those things in your mouth, out it's going to come in, in a very wrong way. There's a verse that says that, I think I put that in your Helps to Harmony, that says it's a fool who vents every feeling that they have. If you're reading in the Proverbs and the Psalms, all these little nuggets come out of, you know, ways to help. Okay, I want to take just a little break here, and I want you to open up your little, um, open up your little notebooks, and I want you to write on one side him and on one side, me, and I want you to take just maybe five minutes. I'll set my little timer on my um, on my phone. Doesn't matter. Just you can take. Yep, yeah, you can do it. Take a line down the middle, and you can write him and me. And then I want you to write ways that you know and recognize that you're different and opposite from your husband's. I just want you to put it on paper. Just get it out. Like mine is. Uh, my husband's a bit of a messy guy, and I'm a bit of a neat neat person. Uh, my husband likes meat and potatoes, and I like salads. Uh, my husband does not like physical activity, and I love to exercise and be active. And because he works all week, he's like, I get a pass on all that exercise. So those are just some thoughts. All right. Time's up. <laughs> the purpose of doing that really was to help you understand that there, each of you have strengths and weaknesses, and sometimes you look at them as sources of conflict, but you can actually look at those same things as ways to complement each other. Like, um, my memory isn't so good about anything long-term. My husband has this great long-term memory for some reason, and I have a really good short-term memory. We've learned to complement one another. And these are the the things I've done. So take out your helps to harmony. Helps to harmony. Number one, be in the word daily. In the morning, if possible, even five minutes, even five minutes. I, I downloaded the Daily Bread app on my phone. It's super cute. It's five minutes. Just makes a little change in your perspective, right? Just a little bitty change. I want to just um, define perspective really quick for you. Uh, an attitude or a way of regarding a point of view, outlook, or approach. It also means to consider, it means the ability to consider things in relationship to another more accurately and fairly. 
I mean, when we're talking about, so many people talk about submitting, but why not just say, change your perspective just a little bit? You both have different perspectives. Neither is right nor wrong in many cases. But if you just make a little change in your perspective on things, it makes a big difference. Like, did you know that if you made small changes in your diet and exercise and were able to stick with it over a long time, it would make a difference? Like if you just took a walk every day and stopped eating ice cream at night, that over a month's time, you probably would lose four pounds. So if you did that consistently for four months, that would be 16 pounds. Uh, You know that I'm not successful at that. But just as a perspective, just as a little bit of a perspective, and the same thing you can do with your husband. If you change your perspective just a tiny, tiny bit, if you start showing ways of respect to him and complimenting me, even if it's hard to find. I mean, my point being, how does it matter if you who starts it first if you get to the same end point? It shouldn't really matter. Why not be the first one? The other thing Mark and I have done that's worked for us is we try to apologize more quickly. There's a bit of a, uh, sometimes it starts out as a bit of a game, you know, like I'm a little more spiritual because I'm saying I'm sorry first. Ha ha. No, <laughs> try not to do that. But the longer that you let it go, like why, it doesn't really matter to me anymore who's right or wrong. Why not just say I'm sorry that we're arguing? Um, Let me, where was my helps? I think they're here. So being in the Word, even if for five minutes, get up a little bit earlier, and it won't hurt you to lose 15 minutes of sleep just to be in the Word. It's so important. Um, Create a thankful journal. My little thankful journal says all kinds of things, not even related to my husband. I love the fat little dimples on my baby granddaughter's top of her fingers. Um, and it reminds me of God's goodness. He did that. You know, if I would have lost hope in my marriage early on, I wouldn't have six beautiful grandkids that I love and adore. And they're not all that pretty, but they're, they're awfully fun. <laughs> Some of them are really cute. Anyway, just think of what I had missed out on. I would have missed so, so much by changing my own heart and changing my own perspective and looking at things differently. Um, When I talk about respecting your husband, it's a feeling of admiration, um, and it's elicited by their qualities or their abilities and achievements. A synonym would be esteeming or having a high opinion or reverence or um, looking up to them or only because they deserve, not because they always deserve it, but just because, just doing it just because. And so because there's a verse, have you guys seen the verse in Ephesians 533 where it says let husbands so love their wives and then wives should respect their husbands i don't i mean his point in in saying that in this love and respect book was women don't have to really be told to love their husbands really i mean when you're in conflict you're probably not thinking about it but generally we we have love comes very easy to us but respect does not come that easy it's something we have to work on And the same for spouses. Sometimes it doesn't come that easy to love a wife who's not tender towards them. But out of obedience, that's what God's calling them to do in the Word. He's calling them to love us. He's calling us to love them. And when we do those little things, it improves or decreases the crazy cycle quite a bit. All right. Uh, What's number three on that list, Carol? Be in church together. When I'm admittingly, when my husband and I are in church together and Pastor Rob is talking to the husbands, I hear my husband take a deep sigh. Like he's had a hard job. He really has had a hard job. I admit it. I freely admit it. He has not had an easy job. I have not made it easy for him. He still works at it. I still have to work at it too. But being in church together is a little bit like going to therapy, you know? Like when you hear the Word of God and it's telling you, so clearly, and the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, it's very hard to go back to being full yourself again, isn't it? And you don't want to miss out on that. One of the mistakes I made was that we, you know, we'd volunteer to do this and do that, and we get so busy we weren't in church together. It's pretty key. It's a pretty important thing. Ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to help you apply um, that Ephesians five verse. That's what prayer is for. It's to help us when we can't seem to get there, you know. To ask the Holy Spirit, He is our helper. When that verse says, see what, see that the wife respects her husband, just ask for that. Lord, show me a small way that I can show that respect to her. Like even last week, someone was saying, my husband um, 
tends to want to be the more spiritual and push spiritual things, you know, saying like making me feel like I'm not spiritual enough. As I thought about that that week, you know, I mean, I think about how that how you could turn that around a little bit by saying, I appreciate your care for me. I appreciate that you you want me to have the same abilities that you and I'm trying my best to come up to your level. Like why not compliment him instead of taking that as a negative trait from your husband? If you really think about it and pray about it, the Lord can help you just switch your perspective and give you the right words to say. The next step is comp- finding something to compliment or admire him about. And it doesn't have to be obvious. Like I've started thinking my husband... I mean, one day, he, my husband is not a big planner, and one day he went out in the backyard and he just cut down the tree. Well, it wasn't my timing, it wasn't my planning, it interfered with other things. I still said, I like it better without the tree, honey, thank you so much. Even though I wanted to be a little irritable, it went through dinner and I was hungry, you know. I had to change my perspective, otherwise we were going to have an issue about that darn tree, you know. I was going to say, why weren't you thinking about dinner? You know, here it is, 7.30, you know I can't go that long. You know what I said instead? I love it. Thank you. And I had some nuts. <laughs> so I wasn't so hungry, right? Because it was Sunday night and I wanted to eat dinner with him. Because it's not all the nights you get to, but Sunday night you do. It's important. Avoid, avoid, avoid criticizing or complaining. And I'm going to add to that, know what your triggers are. Like, it isn't on this list, but... So for me, one of the triggers that sets me off like a rocket ship is when he calls and says, I'm going to, he doesn't call, he texts. I've got to be late. My job went longer. I think I'll be home at, let's say, 6.30. And then 6.40. Uh, I think it's going to be closer to 7.15. Okay. I mean, I'm running out of things to say because this keeps happening. And so then, sure enough, I think it's going to be 8.15. And so there goes, <laughs> But I have to erase it. I erase the whole thing, and I found another way to say it. I mean, I'm upset. What good does it say it? He knows he's, he doesn't want to be doing that either, does he? And so I finally found a kind thing to say. This is all I could come up with because it's really hard. Be safe. I asked the Lord to change my heart. I asked him to give me a different way to say the same thing. I mean, it's not really the same thing, but it's saying what my heart is. Like, what would have something bad happened, and I was upset at him. Okay, guard your tongue, shorten, at least my husband doesn't like a lengthy, a lengthy conversation about it. And so when I shortened it up, he responded better to that. Plan fun and inexpensive things. We've never had extra money, a ton of extra money, my husband and I. But I can take a subway out to the beach and still have a really good time. The other things I did when my kids were young, I found a buddy, a friend, who had three kids, and we would switch off once a month, and I would take her three kids. Now I've got six kids on Friday night. We had a pajama party. We popped popcorn, and she and her husband got to have a nice evening alone. It was a Saturday night, and then we would meet them at church. Sometimes the kids all came to church in their pajamas, and we laughed about it. But they got an overnighter, and guess what happened next month? My husband and I had a whole night to ourselves with no kids. Nobody woke us up during the night. Nobody was at our door. We could go to the bathroom. We could do whatever we wanted in our own home, and it didn't cost any money. That was how we solved that problem. You have to kind of be resourceful sometimes about it. It's super important that you spend time alone with your husband. How else are you going to renew those feelings that you had when you first married him? It's really important. Don't let all the things that you have to do get in the way of not making um, the time that you need. Whenever possible, choose kindness and try being sweet. This has actually worked. He's upset, I'm upset, and finally I just say, I'm sorry we had the problem, and I give him a big hug and kiss. I just walk away. I just walk away, and I pretend I'm happy when I'm not. I mean, I just do. Like, Why engage all that? Why, why fight at all? Why? What's the point? So I just give him a big hug. He seems to like that for some reason. <laughs> Listen, listen, listen to what your husband has to say. And if you're quiet, it's hard to do. So the last argument we had that was pretty intense was not that long ago. And, I, and my husband gets very quiet in arguments, so I decided to do the same. And so I just sat there with him, and I waited for him to say something. And I waited a really long time, but I listened, and I listened, and it finally came out. I'm going to tell you what he said, because if you listen, you'll hear it too. 
My husband said, sometimes you're not ready to apologize even when I say I'm sorry. That's what he said. And I bet you if you listen to your husband, I bet you you'd hear what he said. If you're not so into your own feelings, if you listened, you would hear what he's saying to you. And you know that cut me because I knew he's right. I mean, he knows me. 43 years, he knows me. And he said other things like that, like, you argue better than me. I don't feel I can say the right words to help you understand what I'm feeling. Well, he's right. I'm, I'm, men are more verbal than women, right? I mean, women are more verbal than men. Men are not as verbal. And because we're interacting with kids and relationships, we can put our words together better. But. So I started listening to what he said to me instead of just listening to my own unhappiness and complaints. Um, complaints. Number 12, make every, every effort to respond to his desire for intimacy. You cannot get what you need by depriving him of what he needs. So that very last page, the color page, <clears throat> mine's not in color, but it looks like this. This I remember from biology and nursing school, <laughs> truthfully, and it came to my mind because in one of these little books that I read, it talks about how men are... At that that very bottom level, look what it says. Breathing, food, water, sex, sleep, homeostasis, and excretion. Who would have thought of excretion as a... These are physiological needs. But 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 this little hierarchy chart is telling you that this is not just a desire. It's a a need. Like a, a man has a physical need for that sexual part of him. It's hardwired into his brain. So... If you withhold that or deny him, you're, you're not giving him what he needs. If you're wanting love, withholding that desire from him is not getting you where you want to be. And um, part of what, you know, going to Thrive, which is our marriage thing, I mean, one of the days, did you go to that one class where the woman, the younger woman said, I promised my husband that I would never deny him if he asked me? I mean, that's a... <laughs> That's a pretty big deal, don't you think? I thought that was a big deal to say that, but I honored and respected her for saying that. I'm not sure if I could do that, but it was still a welcoming thing to hear a young woman say that that's what what she was willing to do for her husband. It was a very honorable thing, I felt. Anyway, as you kind of move up, you know, the needs become more... Um, you know, they come become more of a spiritual or an emotional or a maturity level that happens as you get to the top. But just, you know, kind of if you're taking what your husband needs seriously, then you'll make a bit of an effort in that area. And I will say, um, I'm going to kind of end on this note just because it's an important thing, and it's not really talked about much. Um, It took me a long time to get my husband to come along to the idea of praying together. I wanted him to pray with me in the morning and you know, finally it kind of came about on its own when I asked him one day to pray for me, you know, so uh, will you pray for me about this thing, I said, and I handed him a sticky note. Well, in our church, we're taught, if someone comes up to you and says, will you pray for me, what are we supposed to do? Come on, girls, stop and pray, right? So guess what my husband did? He stopped and prayed with me right then before he walked out the door. He said, okay, let's pray. All that time I've been nagging him. I want you to pray for me, a simple little thing. Because I, you know, had been more affirming him and more respectful of him and more complimenting him and more admiring him in small ways, just little small ways. So sure enough, so that I said to him, that was really nice praying with you this morning. Next morning he said, let's pray together. So now we've been doing that for forever, long time. I don't know how long. And this is just between you and me and the lamppost in this room. So the nights that my husband and I have intimacy, he prays differently in the morning with me. There's a different prayer that he prays. I'm listening to what he says. It's a bit revealing, and this is what he says. Thank you, Lord, for the love that we have together. That's his kind of definition. That's how God's hardwired him. That's what he prays every morning. That, that's his kind of way of moving him forward in his hectic day. You know, it's, it's what he's about. Like, the other thing I noticed when I go to Thrive, like I heard it, you know, Mike Roselle is Pam Roselle's husband. I heard him say, this is my wife. Isn't she beautiful? Like, I think husbands are proud of their marriages if it's successful. I do. I notice that in my husband. Uh, If we run into friends or somebody that he works for at Costco, you know, 
well, I don't know these people, but I've learned to step up along my side, my husband, put my shoulders back, make a big smile, shake their hands, introduce myself. And may, I want my husband to feel proud of me too. I want him to think that he's been successful at this too, because he has, he's worked hard. He's put up with a lot, I have to say. Anyway, there's a lot of other things on here. And I'm sorry that I ran out of time. I will have to tell you that I told my husband I was really worried about talking for this long, and he'd laugh. (laughs) And I was saying, oh, no, I can never talk that long. And he just laughed. He didn't say a word. (laughs) Yes, go ahead, Pam. One thing you said earlier about the attraction that we have for each other, and it brought to mind something that I learned early on that the very thing that attracts us to our husband Mm -hmm. becomes the sandpaper later. Right. And I think God does that on purpose because he wants us to become one, and that's a hard process. Right. So my husband was a saver, and then later, oh, you're so stingy, you know. Right. we got to come together and know that this gift he has is going to bless me. Yep, my point exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes, Jenny Mae. I have another, I think it's important as wives, always have friends that um, that encourage us in our marriages and have well-suited friends and when you don't that can be a great conflict. Yeah, I, I didn't get to the end of all my helps to harmony. I didn't type them all out, but that was the very last one that I was going to say. Like, if you're lonely, just tell somebody. Uh, you know, it, I mean, you might look around church and think all oh, these people have little friends here and little friends there, but anybody, any one of us would welcome you into our friendship circle. We would. And ways to do that is sign up for one to one discipleship, go to a women's Bible study, go to that healing. The new one she just t- said, what is it? Something harm, yeah, healed and set free. You know, ask. Ask people. You can ask me. I'll give you my email address. Mm-hmm. You know, I've learned that as I've got older, that if you talk to somebody, I, I would gar- ask you to guard yourself a little bit. And, I mean, I only gave you a drop in the bucket, really. It sounds terrible. But, you know, be um, guard your husband's confidence. But just say, can you pray for me and my husband? I'm just having a little struggle in this area. And then take time. Take time for yourself. That's so important. You get so wrapped up in your kids. And then when you do that, take time for a friendship because that person's going to help you along the way. The one advice my husband said was tell them that their husband cannot be everything to them, which is the point about having a good friend. And that he felt a lot of pressure to be all that I needed. I had all these emotions, and he couldn't do anything with them, right? What was he going to do with all this emotion that I had? But a friend knows exactly what to say at the right time, right? They know. I mean, I have friends that have said things to me that I remember 20 years later. Be encouraged was what she said. And, and so that was my end, you know, was sisters in the Lord, be encouraged. God's created us to be opposite sometimes but, and different, but different's not bad. And you can make a change in your own heart and life. Let the water of the word soften your heart. Let the Holy Spirit soften your heart. You cannot change your husband, but you can change with God's help. That's why he's given us the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Each one of those have a role in our heart to make our hearts and lives better, not just in our marriages, but with our children too. And that's a whole other story. But, you know, in the midst of all that, part of the blessing of staying the course, of keeping the perspective, is what comes at the end. Now I have no children at home. And uh, at first, I, I, I know it's all an adjustment. Well, now, really, truly, all we ask each other at night is, did you talk to any of the kids today? <laughs> <laughs> and if one did and I didn't, then it's like, what? What did they say? <laughs> and you didn't tell me that, right? It's just this weird thing that goes around because this is family. This is bonding. This is what you do as women. That's who we are, Right. Why beat your husband up? Because he's not a girl. He's not a woman. (laughs) It's true. Anyway, does anybody else have anything they want to add or any questions? If you have anything specific, just, I was going to pass out these little, where'd they go? They were little prayer cards. And also give away, who doesn't have a devotion that they enjoy very much? Anybody doesn't have any devotion? I want to give you one. You don't have one? Anybody need to get this? I had two. Somehow I got two packets. Anybody? You want the devotional? Yes. This is Debbie Bryson's devotional, our sweet little. And she's a dynamo. Now that's another five-minute thing. There's no real reason why you can't do five minutes. Right, girls? 
And if any, who else needs one? Because I can get one. Anybody else? One, two, just one, two, three. Don't be shy. Four, five. You want two? Yes. I could get one for every one of you. That's my gift to you tonight is a free devotional from Debbie Bryson. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You, anybody else? Anybody else? And Oh, yeah, I gave you one. Seven? Okay. All right, anybody else have any questions or else? I pray with you because I think you did a great job. Oh, my gosh, I missed not, half of my notes. that you were. I didn't think you could talk that long. You're really, <laughs> she's really shut. Lord, we are so thankful for John tonight that you filled her with so much of your word and your ways. And um, 43 years of experience and 42 years of a lot of fights. <laughs> but we love her and we love her husband and we thank you for them as servants of this church and we pray that we can apply these we can complain less and praise you more and thank you thankful. jesus thank you lord and we thank you that you that you used dawn today and we ask that we go out with joy and be led forth with peace for we ask in jesus name amen, amen. amen. it was great thank you